shared. I write what I'm going to say out in full. I'm not going to change what I wrote, but I hope you can see that there are strong resonances with what I'm about to say, with what Luca brought in terms of the body, and in term, in, in, with Bern, what Bernard brought in terms of God has come to us and initiated a covenant with us, entered into a relationship with us. So I'll be preaching in a second, but I will say, I finished work a little bit late last night. I went to bed at about half past three. I am slightly jaded. So I need everyone to sort of be on heresy watch. If I miss out a couple of words, get things a little bit backwards, someone's got to stick their hand up and say, John, you've said that, and that sounds weird or wrong, especially you and especially you, okay? But everyone can participate in that activity. Great. So we are in today, today in Acts chapter 2, verse 42, which, as Jim said, is the verse we've been looking at for the past three weeks, and this is the fourth. And it says this. I don't know if it's up there, but I'm sure we're familiar with it now. Uh, Jim has already read it this morning. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And so this week, we come to the end of our brief journey through this one-line description of the first church, the church which was established in Jerusalem just after Jesus had ascended into heaven and the Holy Spirit was given at Pentecost, the earliest Christian community that we know of. And it's appropriate that this last installment is about the breaking of bread, what we call communion or the Lord's Supper. Because for hundreds of years, this has been the climax of the services of worship to the Father, to the Son, and to the Spirit. When the church of God gathers, when the church of Jesus Christ gathers, we listen to that word of God and to the teaching of the apostles that comes down to us from Peter, James, and John, and Paul, and so forth. We fellowship with one another and with our God. We pray to our God and we break bread. And so today we are talking about breaking bread. Now, this is a huge topic. I mentioned to a work colleague while we were driving along the other day that I was preaching today on the subject of communion, and he just asked me direct, right then, what does it mean? And I thought, well, that's actually quite a difficult question to answer in a a brief way, because the meanings of communion are many and are extremely deep. And so my focus today is not so much to offer an explanation or an analysis of what communion means or is. If you notice, every time I lead communion anyway, I do teach into what it means, and so we build up our understanding slowly, little by little, over time as we practice it. And that's a very important point. Breaking of bread is not something that we understand so much as we do. You can understand it, you should understand it, you must understand it at some level. But it's more important to participate in it, to do it, to experience it. Breaking of bread is not something to analyze, it's something to eat and to drink. It's something to not look at from a distance, it's something to receive into your very body. And my focus today, therefore, is not so much as what it means, but how do we do it? How should we do it? How should we practice this experience of receiving the grace of God? Because the New Testament makes it extremely clear that how we do this is very important. It is literally a matter of life and death. So, we have a series of questions to ask the New Testament in terms of how should we break bread. And the first is the question of who. Who participates in the breaking of bread and the sharing of the cup of the wine? And we're in Acts chapter 2, verse 42, and verse 41, which Jim also thankfully read earlier, gives us the answer to this question. It says this, it says, the baptized are the ones 
who participate in the breaking of bread. It says, those who received Peter's word were baptized, and they were added that day about 3,000 souls. And then the next verse is, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. The people of God are a community. And as with all communities, there is a way that you enter into that community. And that way is baptism. That's why baptism is a one-off. It's something you do once. You only enter once. As Jim was just saying a minute ago, when you are gods, you are gods. You enter in once. You don't keep coming and going. God makes a covenant with you and you enter into his community. Once you're in, you're in. And communion is for those who are in because it is the practice of belonging. It is how you show you belong. It's, it's, it's how you participate in that. Baptism is how you get in, and communion is how you know you belong. That's why the sequence goes, you receive the word of God, go to baptism, and then to participation in the breaking of bread. And that's why, for most of church history, most churches have baptized babies. As I explained, I, did, I preached on this, some of you won't remember or weren't here, but two years ago I preached on this to the day, pretty much. It was the, the same Sunday in July in 2019 on baptism, and I explained why we at Jubilee do things a little bit differently, and my children will participate in communion today because Abby and I have been baptized. They belong because the family belongs. At some point, my children will become old enough that they will have to make their own decision about whether they belong. And then they will have to make their own decision about whether they need to be baptized and participate on the basis of their own belonging and not just on the belonging of their parents or the family. Now, I do realize that the last 18 months or so have been very abnormal, and I'll talk a bit more about things being abnormal later on. And uh, things have not gone uh, as we normally would. So there are people here who haven't been baptized, haven't had an opportunity. We haven't had that uh, amongst us. And so uh, we need to address that and get that going soon. And if you aren't baptized and would like to be, then please do come and speak to me or Jim or Angus or Neil when he's back next week, and we can talk about that. So that's the they of the verse who break bread. Those who receive God's word get baptized and are added to the church. The second question is, when do we break bread? Well, if you noticed, it says this church at the very beginning was meeting daily. It says in verse uh, 46, and day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts. Daily is often, yeah? I've got no response from anybody. <laughs> daily is often. That's often that they're coming together. And for the medium to long term to meet together daily like this is unsustainable. Sometimes things happen in such an intensity that you can maintain them at a very high tempo, but only for a short period of time. Some of you might remember uh, in, the, in 1994, there was a move of God, which we called the Toronto Blessing. And when that hit the church, which I belonged to in Guildford at the time, there was a sudden increase in gathering. We weren't meeting quite daily, but multiple times a week, the church was coming together uh, and, and celebrating and worshipping God. It was an important time. It was a defining time for many of us. But God does not move at the same tempo all the time uh, throughout history. And we can often miss that when we read the Bible. We think that what's happening early on here in Acts, it maintains that tempo all the way through the book of Acts. It doesn't. It covers many, many, many years, that book. God's work with us ebbs and flows because we cannot maintain meeting together daily in this way forever. We just become exhausted 
eventually. But God is doing something very important here. The birth of the church was a very intense time. It's pretty terrifying when you read it. People were literally dropping dead for, for sins as apparently minor as lying to the apostles. When God is at work and doing a new thing and defining things, it is an intense time and intense things happen. It's the same when Moses goes up the mountain and is given the law and comes back down again. You read Exodus and Leviticus and Numbers and it being recalled in Deuteronomy. It's a very intense time. Very intense things happen because God is doing something new. It's the defining of a new age where the example is set for the centuries that follow. So whilst they met daily, we don't need to meet daily. But if God was to move amongst us such that we were, that would be pretty cool, but exhausting. So they did it daily. But later on in Acts, many years later, we do see that things have settled down to a more sustainable pace. So by the time you get to chapter 20, verse 7, Luke, who's writing the book of Acts, describes how in Troas they met on the first day of the week, which for them was a Sunday. Remember, Sunday's not a holiday. It was the first working day of the week. They met on that day, and they met on that Sunday to break bread. That was their pattern. They met on the Lord's Day. Sunday became known as the Lord's Day because, of course, Jesus rose again from the dead on the Sunday. They met on the first day of the week. There's a symbology in there because it's the first day of the week when God is doing something new. God is establishing a new covenant. God created the world in six days and then rested on the seventh. The eighth day, the Sunday, is the day of new creation, of resurrection. And the church marked that by gathering together and breaking bread. And so the church, for the vast majority of its history, has celebrated breaking of bread weekly. When we arrived to sort of settle in Jubilee in 2013, I think we were celebrating communion here maybe three, four times a year, something like that. It wasn't particularly frequent. And that pretty quickly changed so that we did settle into a pattern of celebrating breaking of bread once a month. But there is no reason why we couldn't celebrate it once every week. If we don't break bread together when we are together, then it's our loss. That's something which we miss out on. And so I think we are in some discussions to look, increasing the frequency with which we do this. Paul, when he writes to the church in Corinth in 1 Corinthians 11 and gives us some of our most extensive teaching on communion in chapter 11, uh, says this. He says, when you meet together, and he says it three times in that chapter, and it's when you meet together, you are breaking bread and you are sharing the wine. It happens every time they come together. Now, of course, we have not broken bread together for a long time now. And this has damaged us. There's no way to avoid that. We've obeyed the government and the restrictions which have been put on us. And we've stopped gathering together for the greater good. And thus we have stopped breaking bread together. And there is no way to make up for that. If you're not participating in it, you're not participating in it. But a body needs food, and we have not been a body. We've not been a properly functioning body anyway, but more a body in suspended animation. That's not a word of judgment on us. That's just the reality in which we've been living for the last 15 months or so. A body in suspended animation. You see, a body is made up of parts, and it's only a body when those parts are connected together. If the parts are not connected together, it's not a body. And so a church is a body only if its parts are together. And that means physically, we're physically present. And this is quite a, I'm not sure if people are aware of this, but this is quite a countercultural thing to say these days because there is a shift 
happening amongst, not just us, but amongst the world in which we live in general, where our culture is beginning to insist that the physical is subservient to the psychological. People nowadays devalue physical connection because we think that we can replace it with virtual connection. People are socialising more and more from their bedrooms on their own. If you look at things like uh, teenage drinking and going out and uh, sexual promiscuity and stuff like that, they tend to be going down amongst younger generations because they're just spending more and more time at home in their bedroom. People can belong nowadays to communities where they've never actually met any of the other, any of the other members of that community. And this is one giant sociological experiment which is being conducted at the moment. It's radically changing our conception of who we are and how we're meant to live. And it'll be interesting to see how it plays out as time goes by. In my opinion, the portents are not particularly good. And from a Christian perspective, it may turn out to be disastrous because we each have a body and we were designed to operate with that body. And that body was designed to operate within communities to which we actually physically belong. Our bodies have needs that need to be satisfied and that cannot be satisfied alone or virtually. We actually need to be present. All of your person, your body, your mind, your soul, together communing with other bodies. And it's this issue of what it means to be together that went so disastrously wrong in the church in Corinth that Paul had to write than the letter 1 Corinthians, or certainly a good section of it. And he has to teach on what it means for them to break bread together. Because they were not together when they were doing it. The rich members of the church, those who had lots, were getting drunk and gorging themselves on the food that they had. And the poor members of the church were going hungry. I said a minute ago, they were meeting on a Sunday. Sunday's not a rest day, it's the first working day of the week. The rich have the privilege of maybe not having to work. They can spend all day breaking bread and sharing wine together. The poor people, the slaves, the serpents have to come in at the end of a day or at the very beginning of the day, exhausted or preparing themselves for a day of work. They don't have the same resources. And it's quite possible that the church was meeting in the same house, the same building, but not even in the same room, and that there was this separation between those of high status and those of low status. They were sort of together, but not actually together. And so Paul is scathing in his criticism of the way in which they break bread because they are not doing it together. And that's one reason why in that letter he emphasizes the importance of the single loaf and the single cup. Lots of church practice in the intervening years has worked, unfortunately, against this. And so we end up sometimes with a hyper-individualized breaking of bread where everyone's got their own little sealed cup and their own tiny little bit of very dry and difficult-to-eat bread. That's not breaking bread together. Breaking bread means breaking bread. You have to break it, break it into its pieces and share it. You take one loaf, you have one cup. And Paul explains very clearly also in chapter 10 of 1 Corinthians, we share in the single loaf because Christ is one and we share in him. Christ is not many, he is one. Paul wrote this in 1 Corinthians 10, 17. Because there is one bread, Jesus we who are many are one body, for we all partake of the one bread. There is the connection between the Christ, the single loaf, the church being a body, and the necessity for us to meet together to share in it. And he makes the same point earlier in the chapter in relation to sharing the cup. This is 
the symbols, it's the symbols, one loaf, one cup, and they matter. Symbols matter. It matters that it's one loaf and one cup. And when we dispense with that, we tend to think that we don't need to share in the corporate food, and we can buy into a very modern cultural emphasis on the individual. And in doing that, we can diminish our participation in the grace of God. I've said that very gently. I'm going to say it again because I think it's quite important. We diminish our participation in the grace of God. There is so much there for us to have, and yet by weakening what it's doing, we don't get all that we could. God tells us that there is a direct connection between our well-being and how we break bread. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 30, Paul says, That's why many of you are weak and ill, and some have fallen asleep. But if we judged ourselves truly, we would not be judged. It's a difficult verse which Paul writes. This doesn't mean that any individual's illness or falling asleep has anything to do with how we break bread, but it does mean we need to take this seriously. And this means that with one important caveat, which I'll come to in a second, breaking of bread cannot be done alone, and it cannot be done virtually or online. I spoke about this at length when we first went into lockdown, I think it was March or April 2020. People do strongly disagree with me on this, and that's absolutely fine. But my contention would be that such arguments that we can celebrate it alone and virtually online say more about our present-day culture than they do about God's plans and purposes for his people. As a matter of course, breaking bread is what happens when the church comes together. And I said there's a caveat, and the caveat is this. Sometimes, for some people, the normal course of things is not possible. The normal route of entry into God's people is through baptism. I've said that earlier. But some people, an extremely small number of people, don't get that opportunity. The bandit, the thief, dying next to Jesus on a cross, as he is dying, repents and turns to Jesus. And Jesus says to him, today you will be with me in paradise. That is wonderful news that even as someone is on their way out of this life, as it were, they turn to Jesus and Jesus welcomes them. That's why, sorry, I think it was Bernard, yeah, talking about how much God loves us. Doesn't hold anything that person has done against them. You can turn like that. But that is not a normal entry into the kingdom of God. Not many of us are literally on the verge of dying and have no opportunity to be baptized. It's an exception. It's not the way things normally go. Similarly, some people physically can't come and be together with us. Some people do not have that opportunity or possibility, usually for health reasons. It's not out of choice. It's not because they want things to be that way. It's out of necessity. And we do have people in our body who are in that situation. In these cases, we have to do the best we can. And it may then be appropriate for people to find themselves sharing it alone while the rest of the church gathers or watching online or whatever. But these are exceptional circumstances. Circumstances of necessity, not of convenience or choice. So, yes, I am coming to the end. Don't worry. So that's the who and the when. And then I'm going to just quickly go through the where. Where did they break bread? Well, the early church, it says in the chapter we're looking at, was going to the temple. And then they were meeting privately in homes. And that seems to be where they broke bread. Wherever the church gathered is where they participated in this. And so where the church gathers in its entirety, like we do on a Sunday morning where everyone is welcome and can come, this is the primary place where the breaking of bread is celebrated. This is because it's in the context of the whole body being gathered where we express our love and our unity and our togetherness. We have subsets of that. Life group, for example, is a subset 
of the whole body. It is not the whole body. A life group is a part of the church. It is not the church. This is because life groups, to some extent, are self-selecting to varying degrees. As I've said, a life group is not the body, but part of the body. And if a life group or a family or somewhere else were to become the primary place of breaking bread, then it's working against the unity of the whole church, because it is not the whole, but part of the whole. You do not break bread, ultimately, with people you choose to be with. You break bread with people that God has put you with. Which is why breaking bread in smaller groups is wonderful and necessary and absolutely fine, but it is secondary to what we do when the whole church gathers together. Because when the whole church gathers together and breaks bread, that is where God's command for us to love our neighbor is fulfilled, because we do not choose our neighbor. And so this is one reason, this is my final point, why breaking bread is distinguished from fellowship. Some people say, well, it's sort of the same thing, isn't it? We are going to sit around a table or whatever and break bread. Fellowship and breaking bread, roughly the same. They may overlap, but they are not the same thing. They are distinct. There was lots of fellowship in the Corinthian church with the rich people and the the not-so-rich people, but there was very little breaking of bread together because breaking bread isn't just eating together. So... Some very brief reasons as to why breaking bread is distinct from fellowship. Number one, it's not casual. Fellowship can be really casual, but breaking bread is not casual. doesn't mean it's all formal and stuffy, but it's serious. It's a ritual instituted by Jesus with very specific commands on how it is to be done. And sometimes in our sort of church background, we can slip into thinking that those things are not very important. But actually, if you spend a reasonable amount of time in the Word of God, you realize that sometimes, sometimes how things are done is really important, and this is one of those times. Number two, breaking of bread is not just fellowship because it is prophetic. It looks forward into the future, and it declares or proclaims the death of Jesus until he comes again. It is an act of hope in what is to come. We sung a lot about hope this morning. When we take bread and the wine, we are expressing our hope in what is coming. Thirdly, it's not just prophetic in terms of the future, but it's reflective on the past. Our celebration comes directly from the Passover. When we look back on the past and see what happened there to the people of God, and where we reflect upon the fact that we have been brought out of slavery and into freedom by the sacrificial blood of the Passover lamb. It's reflective on the past. Number four, breaking of bread is explicitly centered on Jesus. Jesus said, when you do this, you do this in remembrance of me. It is explicitly centered on him. He is the focal point of it. And finally, number five, breaking of bread is actually eating Christ's body and drinking his blood. And this is where it does get very weird and it does get a little bit disgusting and a little bit offensive and people can get upset. And that is nothing new. That is nothing new. When Jesus first explained in John chapter 6 that the way of salvation was to eat his flesh and to drink his blood, people were very upset and angry with him. His disciples said to him, this is a hard saying, who can listen to it? Then it says then that many of his disciples, not the 12, but many disciples turned and left him because they could not accept that he had said, the way of salvation is you eat my flesh and you drink my blood. It's a hard thing to get your head around. But if you want to live and not die, then you come, you come, you come and you eat and you drink. You come and you receive the grace of God, the gift of life from God. It comes to you by the breaking of bread and the taking into your body of Jesus' flesh and of his blood. 
the establishing of a new covenant, as it is now fashionable to say because of the Mandalorian. It is the way. So if you want to live and not die, then come and eat. There are no qualifications for breaking bread other than you belong to the church of Jesus Christ and are willing to do the way we have been told, willing to do it the way we have been told to do it. And so I'm going to end now and we're going to, I'm going to pray uh, and then we'll move into some practicalities. Let's pray first and then we'll figure out what we're doing next. Yep. Yep. Yeah.